Can you hear me? Buenos dias. Bonjour. Um, hope you're all awake. So my name is Freddie. I'm one of the leaders, one of the pastors here. Pastor Steve is out of town, as well as um, Stephanie. They're down in Florida visiting their parents, and uh, as well as uh, just connecting with the church that they were part of back uh, down in Florida. So um, for anybody who drove from very far hoping to hear Pastor Steve, I apologize. Um, and, uh, you know, still, we pray for them that they have um, a great time. We, um, and I want to say we not only have, um, there is a, there's a work of God that God is doing in this church that I have come to greatly respect and that I'm honored to be a part of. Sermons can only do so much. Uh, it's only God who saves. Only God transforms people. Um, that's not something you can manipulate, that you can trick. It has to be a work of God. And I see God doing that in the hearts of some people here. God is changing lives, transforming people. And I really, I really thank God for that. And uh, I thank God also that, you know, this is, um, um, this is a church where God is doing a work that attracts people of all different kind. I always think that's a hallmark of a genuine work of God. It draws all kinds of people. Um, all races, all socioeconomic levels. You know, to uh, Jacob's favorite son, he gave a coat of many colors. And um, that's what God does in the church. He makes us a coat of many colors. Different people, different kinds from different places. And, we know, and uh, I also want to say that we not only have... Um, Spanish translation, as Mary said, there's actually a Spanish Bible study also that meets uh, here. Um, tenemos un estudio en español que se reúne los viernes en, uh, a las siete de la tarde. Si uh, quieres asistir, por favor, hable con um, la hermana Mary. ¿Dónde está Mary? Uh, somewhere translating. Oh, okay. Sí, uh, la hermana Mary que hace muchas cosas en la iglesia. So uh, we have a study in Spanish. If you want to join, please speak with um, our sister Mary. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 18 and 19. We're going to read a lot. If you do not mind, please stand, and we're going to read that together. That's very easy. It's the first book of the Bible. You cannot miss it. Um, chapter 18, flip over till you see a big number, 18 somewhere, likely in bold, and we're going to start right from verse 1. You all are familiar with the story. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Okay. Everybody got it? Everyone still? Anyone needs a Bible? Genesis chapter 18, the Lord appeared to Abraham, this verse 1, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not, pass by your ser do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent and to Sarah, to Sarah, quick, he said, get three, three seeds of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he, then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and, and the calf he had, that had been prepared and said these before them while they 
they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There, in the tent, he said, Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh, but he said, yes, you did laugh. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him, that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. Um, And fast forward to chapter 19, verse 1. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My Lord, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, big bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so we, that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friend, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never been with a man. Let, let me bring them out to you and you can do what you want. You can, do to the, you, you can do to them what you want, but don't do anything to these men for they have come under my, the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied, and they said, this fellow came here as an alien, and now he wants to play judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved towards, uh, forward to break down the door, but the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, do you have anyone here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughter. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy this place but his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of down, the, angel, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand, the hands of his wife and of his two daughters, and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had, he had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the plains. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. Um, Over to verse um, 27. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, towards all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like the smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, 
he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Let's pray. Father God, we want to approach your word, Lord, with all the sobriety, Lord, that it deserves. Lord, um, you have not changed. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever, Lord, and you still respond to the hearts of men. Father, you respond, Lord, to the hearts of men as we respond to you, Lord. And this morning, Father, we're not here, Lord, to be entertained, Lord. We are not here, Father, to do anything else but, Lord, to be serious with you. So, Father, we pray, Lord, one more time, Lord, that you will speak to us. As you do every Sunday here, Father, we pray that you would speak to us, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that um, you will fill me with your spirit, Lord, that you will give all of us the anointing to hear, that you will speak to my own heart, Lord. And Father, we pray, Lord, that your voice will just be heard from the depths of the hearts. And we pray, Father God, that every distraction, Lord, will be silenced so that your voice can be heard, Lord. We pray that you'll be glorified today and we put our trust, Lord, in you, Lord, because you are the God who is holy and righteous, but also the God who loves us and desires to be close to us, Lord. So, Father, as we look at that in this brief time that we have, Lord, we pray that you'll make that more real to us than ever. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please be seated. Thank you. You know, when Jesus came to Jerusalem, the Bible says that he wept over the city because he said, it's, I think it's in Luke chapter 18 or 19 or so. He said he wept because he said that Jerusalem had not recognized the time of God visiting them. There is a time when God comes to visit us. And in this passage here, you see a visitation from God. God came in human form with two angels to visit the earth. When Jesus came into the world, was not the first time God came and showed up in human form. This is the first time that he did so. And he's accompanied by two angels. And I want to talk about the four kinds of people or four types of hearts that God encountered when he came and visited the world. It is important for us to know where we're at spiritually. Just like you go for a medical checkup, just like you go to find out where you're at medically with your health, it is important to know where you're at in your spiritual walk. You don't want to go to heaven and find out when you get there. Um, you don't want to find out on your last day where you are at. I want to know now, what is God thinking of me today? Obviously, so I can do something about it. And so there are four kinds of hearts here. In the, in the brief time we have, I'm just going to go through them. And likely one of this is you. And I pray that you would be honest with yourself to know where you're at, and as I say, God is doing a work in this church. God is visiting us. And what kind of heart is he finding you in? What state of heart is he finding you in? And that's what I'm going to talk about today. So Genesis 18, I know that was a lot of reading, by the way. But don't you like reading the Bible? That was great, wasn't it? Um, Genesis chapter 18, from verse 1. God appeared to Abraham by the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance at the heat of the day. Now, Abraham had his schedule for that day. He had his plans for that day, but God showed up. When God showed up, with, now, people have different views on this. Some people think Abraham did not know that these were, this was the Lord and the angels, but I believe he knew. How do I know that? Because even though there were three men, Abraham says, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. So he, he singled out one of them. They otherwise all look like 
human beings. So Abraham somehow knew, having walked with the Lord for some time now, for a while, uh, Abraham knew this was the Lord. And here's what Abraham does. Verse 2, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them. He bowed low to the ground. He said to them, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may wash your feet and go on the way. Let me get you something to drink so you can be refreshed and go on your way so that you make you, now that you have come to your servant. This is the first type of heart that you see. It's Abraham's heart. Abraham represents a healthy Christian. He's in a good place. You want to be in the place that Abraham was when God met him. Now, what are the marks of a person whose heart is right, whose heart is in the, in the, is in the right state? When he sees God, he dropped everything else. And the Bible says he ran. Now, you see people here in Boston running and jogging and so forth. But in an Eastern culture, adults don't run. Okay, kids run, children run. I have a friend whose grandfather came from a Southeast uh, Asian country. When he came here and saw all the joggers, like how could all these adult people be running like this? This is for kids. So it, it was not it, children run. But have you see, ever seen an adult? He sees somebody at the door and he gets up and starts to run towards the visitor. Who does that? Now Abraham is not a little kid. He's 99 years old at this point. But he drops everything in the sight of every. It said this was at noonday, at the heat of the day, okay? And so everybody's seeing him. Abraham runs, puts aside all his dignity. He's not only 99, he's a wealthy man. He's got over 300 servants and a personal army. He was doing pretty well, okay? But he puts aside all of that, and he gets up and he runs. Not only does he run, he bows low to the ground. He bows low to the ground. This is in public, not in church. Okay? And he looks, look at the way he talks. If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let water be brought to wash your feet. And rest, under this, and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat that you may be refreshed and then go your way that you may, now that you have come to your servant. Listen how he's humbling himself, putting himself, making himself low. A healthy Christian is in a hurry to meet God. You don't have to encourage him to come to church. You don't have to tell him, hey, Go to Bible study. A healthy Christian is hungry for God. A healthy Christian has a thirst for God. And a healthy Christian has a humble approach to God. Their inner posture is one of bowing down before the Lord. We take ourselves way too seriously. We're all to a certain degree, so, to varying degrees, so full of ourselves. We think we're it. But a great day comes in the, in the life of a man, in the life of a woman, when that day you realize God is God and you're not. That God stands apart and distinct from everything else that exists. And when your eyes are open to see his holiness, the excellence of his splendor, the greatness of his majesty, you only have one natural response, you bow down low. You say, God, I am nothing. I may have degrees, I may have money, I may have good looks, I may have this or that, but Lord, in the face of your majesty, in the, ex in the excellence of your splendor, it's all nothing. I bow down. That's what Abraham did. He wasn't doing God a favor. He was asking God to give him the favor of serving him. A healthy Christian does not need anybody to beg him or her to serve God. They plead with God, please do not pass me by. What a great, what, what, what a great prayer. Lord, uh, 
do not pass your servant by. He didn't take it for granted that because God was there, he's going to come to his house. Do not pass me by. Oh, I love that old song. I like old songs. Somebody told me that I'm old because I like old songs. And I, I, like, I, I do like old songs. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. That's Abraham here. Don't pass your servant by. Come to my house. Stop by here. And look at what the Lord said to him. Very well. Do as you say. God had, there was no resistance there. No resistance. God accepted what Abraham was offering him. Why was that? Because Abraham's heart was right. His inner posture towards God was right. His attitude was correct. You know, it's not the gifts that we bring to God. It is the attitude of our hearts that determines how God responds to us. You know, the Bible says about Abel and Cain that um, those are two brothers earlier in the book of Genesis. They both brought offerings to God, and the Bible says that uh, Abel's offering was accepted. Cain's offering was rejected. And you often wondered why. Why is that? Why is it that, why, why is it that God rejected it? There's, it's, it? I'll tell you. You know why? The Bible says upon Abel and his offering, God looked with favor. God had looked on favor first upon Abel, then he looked on favor upon his offering. And he said, but upon Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And then in John, John in 1 John, he makes it clear, why did, why, why did God uh, re, reject, reject Cain? Because his deeds were evil. His deeds were evil. The, quite, the problem was now because uh, Abel brought an animal and then Cain brought vegetable. God is not against veggies. Okay? He, the problem was their hearts were wrong. It did not matter if Cain had brought an animal, God would have said, no, niet. No lo quiero. I don't want it. Because he did not like his heart. And so God here, there's no resistance um, to, to, Abraham, to Abraham's offering. God accepts his offering and when God accepts this, look at this man. Listen to this. Verse 6. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. And when he hurried, he said, quick, get something and start to make food. Verse 7. Then he ran again to the herd. And verse 8. Then he, uh, then he uh, sorry, later in, ver in verse 7 again, who gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. And so there you see Abraham. He's running. He's in a hurry. He wants to serve God. And the Bible says here, after they had done all, he had made all of that food. By the way, he told them, I want to give you a little bit of water. Let a little bit of food be, be brought. But what he brought was not a little bit. He outdid everything that he promised God that he was going to do. And... Um, it says that then when he gave the food to the people, the Bible says here at the end of verse 8, while they, they ate, Abraham stood near them under the tree. He just stood there to watch these people eat. <laughs> he just stood there, 99-year-old man, watching his visitors eat. In summary, a healthy Christian is one who loves the Lord. Loving Jesus Christ is the most important thing in the Christian life. If you were not there on Tuesday night, I encourage you to come to Tuesday night, by the way. I think it was the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. I uh, shared the message on the most important thing in the Christian life. If you were not there, I encourage you. It's on YouTube, I believe. Please watch it. The most important thing in the Christian life is loving the Lord. Everything else is a distraction. The Christian life, it's not, about, it's not about even staying away from sin. It's not about escaping hell. It's not even about going to heaven. If Jesus moved out of heaven, I wouldn't want to go there. If he moved from heaven to the jungle, I'll go to the jungle. 
because I want to be where Jesus is. The reason we go to heaven, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. That's the only reason. It's not about streets of gold and mansion and all of that. It's about Jesus Christ. It is Jesus. It is loving Jesus Christ. And I want to say to you, unfortunately, even in the house of God, the love for God is often rare. And even in the house of God, a hunger and a thirst for God is sometimes rare. And we got to be honest with ourselves about that. That our Christian lives have to be about loving Jesus Christ and about loving God. Everything else, the distraction, everything else that we do, ministry and all that, all that has to be undergirded by the fact that we love the Lord. And we want to walk with him. Well, the second type of person that um, I want to talk about, you know, Abraham is called God's friend. That's the highest level of spiritual rank that you can reach. It's not pastor. It's friend of God. And Abraham got there. The Bible is called the friend of God. You see that in, in 2 Chronicles 20, uh, verse 7. And also in James chapter 2, um, verse 23, I believe, it says that. The second person that I want to talk about here briefly is Sarah. Sarah is his wife. It's Abraham's wife. Now, Sarah is a good woman. She's not bad. She doesn't go clubbing. She doesn't get drunk. She's a good woman. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, it even says she's a submissive woman. She does whatever her husband, who's a good man, tells her to do. Right? That's the, 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 what a lot of people here, guys here want. Right? But she's a, and she's a great example of, of submission. She's a good woman. I don't, I don't want to take away from that. But... But she does not have the relationship with God that Abraham has. Why, why, why do I say that? You never see, you know, there's no record of Sarah praying to the Lord. There's no record of Sarah uh, having any kind of an intimate con uh, uh, fellowship with the Lord. And so the first question that God asks here. In, in verse 9, is, he asked when, after they, they eat, he says, where is your wife, Sarah? Now, whenever God asks a question, it's not because he's trying to figure out the answer. Okay? When God asks a question, it's because he wants you and I to think about the answer. Now, you remember in the book of Genesis, there is a first time when God asked somebody where they're at. Who was that? Adam. God came to him and said, Adam, where are you? It's not because God did not know where, Abraham, where Adam was. God was trying to say that there was a distance that had been established between him and Adam. And God wanted Adam to think about that. So when God is saying, where's your wife, Sarah? He's saying to, he's saying to Abraham, I, I, I'm grateful. Sarah, she, she worked. In fact, she helped cook all of this food. She's the person who will serve. She'll do whatever you want her to do. She'll come to church. She'll do stuff. She'll do ministry. She'll do all these things. But God was saying, Sarah, I, I appreciate that. Thank you for doing all that stuff for, for me. But I didn't come here just to eat your food. I want you to be here fellowshipping with me. I want you to have, you're the one, I, I came for you. This is what God was saying. And so God is asking Abraham, where, where's, where's Sarah? Why is she not here? You're here, you're near. The Bible says here, Abraham was standing near them, near the people who were, who were eating. But the Bible says that Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent. So because it was in the cool of the day, and the tent likely was going to be hot, the men were under the shadow of a tree. But Sarah stood by the tent uh, 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 within earshot, but not close, at a, at a distance. She represents the person who is willing to come to church. They're not an atheist. They're not against God. 
They're not against the thing. They will even serve and do ministry, but they more or less follow at a distance. There's a little bit of a distance between them and God. Usually someone like that, their relationship with God is mainly through somebody else. Sarah's relationship with God seems to be tethered to Abraham. And so usually some of you, you have a friend or, 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 or family member who loves God and you sort of tag along. You are more or less a sympathetic spectator to their relationship with God. You are more or less a cheerleader to their relationship with God. And this, this has always puzzled me, why some people get stuck in this kind, in this kind, of, uh, in this kind of place. And here's, here's, what, here's what, it, uh, what, what it looks like. Um, you're, 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 in your, you're in your house. Your husband or your wife loves God. They go pray. They're in the room praying. You're not against it, but you look at that, you're like, that's good, that works for her. But you stay outside in the living room on front of the TV, you're flipping the channels while she's in there praying and crying out to the Lord. And I've seen that growing up in church where some people know the Lord, they're close to God, and some people are more or less spectators. They're close by. They're not bad. They're not doing evil stuff. But that intimacy with Christ is not there for them either. And, um, you know, for children, some of you, you may have godly parents. You may have a godly father or godly mother. My mother, is the, my mother who's probably watching, she, she's the first Christian I knew. She got saved when I was six months old. I went to church because of her. But a time came when my relationship with God had to become my own. I was 10 years old when that happened. I realized I was a sinner, that I needed to give my life to Jesus Christ. And I did. From that time on to this day, it was completely separate and independent from my, from my mom's relationship with God. And I hope you don't mind me using my own example. I'm not trying to boast or brag. But I don't know how you preach a message and you talk about how it works for somebody else. You know? I'm a, I'm a believer in what one of my spiritual fathers used to say. The message is the messenger. What God has worked in your life is really the only thing you have to teach. And so... At 11, 12, 13 years old, I will go to midweek services by myself. My mom got involved in politics. Sometimes she would not go. She got busy. She became a congresswoman. But I would go. I remember one time I was go the church was doing a workshop midweek. I went by myself in the evening, coming back. My sister, my oldest sister, my beautiful sister, Francesca, she, I saw her coming the other way. I was like, where are you going? Say, they sent me to look for you. We're worried. Where were you at? I remember feeling that was so strange. Like, why? You, I went to church. <laughs> I went to church. I went to prayer. There has to come a time when your relationship with God becomes your own where it's no longer tethered to anybody. In fact, my mom tells me, she won't mind me saying this. She, 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 she told me last week, she said, you know, when I, I, I became lukewarm later, you started to pray for me and I came back. There has to be a time when your faith becomes such that even if the first Christian you knew is no longer excited about the Lord, you're still going to keep going. That day has to come for you. It has to come for the children in this church. It's not going to be enough that they live in your house and you're a Christian and you come to church. That's not going to survive it when they go to college and, or even in high school when they're facing the pressure, the sins. There's no one there to monitor them. There's no pastor. There's no pressure of other Christian friends. Somehow it's going to have to be their own relationship with God. They're going to have to get to the point when they understand they have a calling for God, of God on their lives. 
that they have something to lose if they mess up, that they have an intimacy or relationship with God that they have to protect and defend. A child has to come to the point when they understand that. And I hope that happens for all the children here. Maybe for you there's somebody in your home who loves God, but you not so much. You know, sometimes growing up in church, I'll be in some circles where there will be a prayer meeting and the sisters are praying with uh, their opening scriptures, praying and crying out to the Lord and the brothers are zip, quiet. But as soon as the prayer is over, the conversation turns to basketball and football. The guys start to be chatty and they find their voice. It's true. That, that it's like that in church circles. Unfortunately, it is the case. And the day has to come when you say, no, my relationship with God is not going to be true. My wife or my husband is going to have to be my own. I'm going to find God. By now, how do you, how, uh, l- l- let, me, um, let me say two things before I move on. Running out of time. So, How do you get out of this state here that Sarah was in? And I'll tell you here, it says that when God spoke with Abraham, uh, Sarah laughed in verse 12. She said, after I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And Sarah was afraid, so she lied. I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. You know when somebody's in this state, what the truth is? The truth is they don't really trust God yet. They don't fully believe him. They don't take everything he says to be true. And in order to get out of that state, what you need to do is to acknowledge that that's where you are. It's to acknowledge your true spiritual state. It's to say, you know what? Maybe my wife knows God. She's close to him. Maybe she believes everything that's said. Maybe my husband believes everything that God says. Maybe my parents believe everything that God said. But the truth is, in my heart, I'm still a little bit skeptical about this God. And that's embarrassing to say in front of your Christian friends who think you are being a good Christian all this time. But that's how you get out of that. It's through honesty. It's by accepting and acknowledging where you're at to God and possibly to man. And eventually, Sarah did get there. There there was another laughter she had. It was a laughter of joy and faith a year later. Now, let me um, move on to Lot. Lot is one of those people in the Bible that you just don't want to talk about. Uh, Because it's just so sad. You know, it's just so sad. He, look, let's read it. So, he, the, the Bible says that, so Lot is actually Abraham's nephew. His father died when Lot was still young, so Abraham, his uncle, took him and kind of raised him. Now, as time went on, Abraham became wealthy, and and, um, and they both were in a place called Ur in Chaldea, which was a a city, uh, an opulent city for that time, uh, where they lived a nice city life. But then God called Abraham and said, get out of there and go to the land where I will show you. I'm going to create a people out of you and I'm going to give them a land. The land that's now today the land of Israel. But over in that land, you're not going to live in a city. You're going to dwell in tents. So it was quite a change of lifestyle for Abraham to live. The archaeologists have found buildings in Ur that were several stories high, pretty comfortable places. So he went from that and he was going to live in tent and, and Lot came along with him. Now over time, God did bless Abraham. He became wealthy, but he had to be moving around. God wanted him to explore the land he was going to give him. So he lived in tents. He was not in a big city. 
but at some point, they both became so wealthy, including his nephew, Lot, that at some point, um, Lot pretty much broke off from his uncle, and the Bible says he pitched his tent towards Sodom, in the direction of Sodom, a wicked place. God did not send Lot there. He's, the Bible says he looked at it, and it looked attractive, because it looked attractive and tempting, he decided to pitch his tent there. And bit by bit, it got more and more tempted and tempted towards Sodom until finally he's living in Sodom. Not only is he living in Sodom, he becomes part of the ruling council in Sodom. How do we know that? He said that the two angels arrived in Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he, uh, he was sitting at the gateway of the city. In those days, the gateway of the city was the place where the leaders and the elders of the city sat. It was the administrative judicial seat of the place. So Lot had gone there and had done pretty well for himself. And he's now one of the rulers, in, one of the prominent men in Sodom. Now that is kind of sad that now in a wicked place that he knew was wicked, he had no business being there. God hadn't sent him there. He represents a person, Lot represents a person, a Christian. The Bible says he's a righteous man. He began as a righteous man. But bit by bit, the spirit of Sodom crept in. He represents somebody who believes in God, but he's driven by opportunities, by money by ambition, by the American dream, at the expense of the call of God on his life. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong in living in a nice house. I live in a place that I think is nice. Um, it is nice. <laughs> thank you, Santa. Uh, I, I drive a car that I think is nice, and there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is when these things start to creep into the heart, when you start to make life choices that are based not on the calling of God on your life, but they are now, but they're based on, but they're based on whatever opportunities come. I remember when I was graduating from college, finishing my master, I, 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 I spent once that, that, that one summer. On my senior year, I spent seven weekends seeking the Lord. After my internship on Friday, I would drive out to some place in Western Mass and spend the weekend till Sunday just seeking the Lord by myself, trying to figure out what to do next. And God made it clear to me somehow I knew I was just, I'm supposed to stay in Boston. That wasn't my plan. I would have gone back to Virginia where my mother is. But I felt God was telling me to stay in Boston. But the only problem was a strange thing happened that I was getting job offers everywhere except in Boston. One, one large company that you all know, you've all used their product. One of the biggest software companies out there from the West Coast. They, uh, they, they, they offered me a job without me applying. I was just visiting my friend who was here with a team from their company that came to recruit on our campus. I just went there to say hello, and I got into a chat with the, the guy who was leading the team, the recruiter. He essentially offered me a job on the spot. They took me out to dinner with one of their executives who was in town. He said, can you come work? I said, can I work from Boston? They didn't have an office in Boston at the time. Now they do. They say, no, you can't. You, you have to move over to the West Coast. And I say, I can't. And Christians were telling me, why don't you just go? You can start a church over there. It doesn't work like that. You find out where God wants you to be, and then you stay there, and you leave the consequences to God. But Lord did the opposite. Sometimes I hear people say, I'm moving, just why you move? I just want to move, I just feel like it. That's a dangerous way to live, in my opinion. You seek the Lord and you find out, God, what do you want me to do in my life? What do you want me to do next? God is good. He's a good father. He'll show you what to do. And whatever he tells you, you go and do that. Finally, there was one company, just one, that offered me a job in Boston. Just one. Um, 
with not the greatest salary. After nine months, God opened uh, a door for another place, that, and it was a 50% pay increase that I did not negotiate. The lady told me, I'm going to ask them to give you the highest salary we're allowed to pay for this position. I didn't ask. It was God saying, yeah, you've been faithful. Now, you're not going to be the loser for listening and, and staying here where you were supposed to stay. Please let your life be guided by the Lord. It is the wisest way to live. And looking back now, I am so glad that decision to stay here, God has blessed it so much. I wouldn't be here today if I had gone back. And, um, all right, well, I'm out of time. Um, <laughs> here's what happened to Lot. I'm just going to say this. Here's what happened to Lot. Lot said to, his, um, to these angels the same words that Abraham had spoken to the angels. My Lord, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. Wash your feet and spend the night that you may go early in the morning. He, uh, he, he'd also say he also bowed down with his face to the ground. He had learned well from his uncle. But this is what the angels say. No, we don't, we don't, we're not coming to your house. They said no. Remember when Abraham asked them, what did they say? Very well, do as you say. But when Lot asked for it, they were reluctant. He wasn't their kind of guy. He had a divided heart. It's not the words that we say. It is the attitudes of our heart that God responds to. And notice another thing. Uh, God did not go to Sodom. He, he only sent the two angels. You know why that is? Because he had no friend in Sodom. In the other place, he went to see Abraham because that was his friend. God was going to fellowship with Abraham. He couldn't send the angel to fellowship on his behalf with, with Abraham. But when, um, when, the, but when he, in Sodom, it was only work. He, the, the angels were on a mission to do work, to execute God's orders. God did not bother to go there himself. And you see here that they said the same words. He said the same word that Abraham said, that God responded differently. He, someone said to me one time, look, you all give Martha a bad rap, Martha and Mary. When their brother Lazarus, Mary was at Jesus' feet all the time, and Martha was the one doing all the work. He said, but when their brother Lazarus died, Martha came and told Jesus the same thing. If, uh, told Jesus, if, you're my if you were here, my brother would not have died. And this sister told me, Freddie, you know, Mary came and she repeated the same thing. If you were here, my brother would not have died. Say, all that time she spent at Jesus' feet, she didn't learn anything better than what her sister had learned. She said she had nothing, more, she had nothing better to show. In other words, she was saying, what did all that time at Jesus' feet produce? You know, I'll tell you what it produced. It, she's right. It didn't, may not have given her more knowledge than Martha. But what he gave her was a different relationship with Jesus than Martha. Because when Martha said, if had you been here, my brother would not have died, Jesus responded by giving her a sermonette. I'm the resurrection and the life and all that. When Mary came, fell at his feet and said, the same thing, if you are here, my brother would not have died, Jesus wept. He wept. It was a different relationship. God does not react to everybody the same. I know we try to make it sound like that, but the reality is not like that. The relationships are different. If you tell my mom you're hungry, she'll give you food. If I tell my mom you're hungry, another kind of food is going to come out. Uh, and it, it's, it's a, the relationship is different. Okay? And you see that here... Um, Finally, I'm going to say this. I, I know I'm running out, I'm running out of time, and, but please allow me to say this. This is, this, this is, this is important here. Look at what happened to Lot. When eventually this angel did come to his house after he insisted, in the rest of this story, Lot loses his family. He lost his daughters. He lost his wife. He lost his daughter. This is what happens when a Christian compromises, goes for money, prioritizes the glitter of this world, 
the pursuit, the worldly pursuits of this world, they end up losing their children. And you see here, Lot, when the angels told him, uh, when the, the men from the city came and tried to commit sodomy with, the, with, with the, the guests that were at his house, he offered to give them his daughters. Wait, what? <laughs> it is so messed up. But it said at the beginning he was a righteous man. The spirit of Sodom got into him. He was against homosexuality, but he was not against fornication. That describes so many Christians. They are, they are up in arm against Oh, they're messing up the sanctity of marriage and all these things, which I agree. I agree the Bible says marriage is between a man and a woman, but it bothers me when I hear Christians being so up in arms about that against gay marriage, but they're not bothered that their daughters and their sons are living out in fornication. It doesn't bother them as much. That's hypocritical. Who's supposed to be the light? The LGBT community or the church? It's hypocritical. It's fake outrage. I don't buy into it. It's just like when people are angry that there's no Bible and prayer in the school, but they don't read the Bible at home, and they're not praying at home either. But they want the public school to pray. Does that even make sense? The truth is that, and you see here, Lot, he tried to tell his sons-in-law, God is going to bring judgment. The Bible says his sons-in-law... Uh, uh, who were pledged to marry, they were really engaged to his daughters, they thought he was joking. He lost moral authority even with his sons-in-law. They weren't people who cared about the things of God. Christians who get into this state, they don't mind that their sons and daughters get together, get into relationships or marriage with people who have no spiritual, uh, who have no spiritual interest. They don't take God seriously at all. Please never allow that. Let them disobey you if they want, but never add your approval when your son and your daughter, who's supposed to be a Christian, wants to get together with someone who just doesn't really care about the things of God. I don't care what the guy has. If he does not really care, if you cannot establish that this person's heart is after the Lord, have nothing to do with it. Look away. It doesn't matter how pretty the girl is. It doesn't matter what, if all the curves look great. Look away. She, you can establish that she does not love the Lord. She does not have a heart against God, have nothing to do with it. You're all very quiet, but that's the truth. It's the truth. And unfortunately, Lot has lost his daughter. You know, sometimes I, I, I get very concerned um, when I see what Christian parents allow their children, their sons, and their daughters to do, their high schoolers, prom time comes around, and a 17-year-old guy who doesn't know his left from his right, which is an expression from Jonah, comes knocking at your door, say, I'm taking your daughter out to prom. I'll bring her back at 2 a.m. in the morning. And you say, yeah, Susie, hey, John is here to pick your go, go. And I think about it, I'm like, you may disagree with me on this, but let, let me ask you this, especially some of you fathers. If that 17-year-old came and he says, sir, give me your wallet, I'll go with it for the day, I'll bring it back at 2 a.m., ask me no question. Would you say, here, go take it? Would you? Would you? You won't trust him with your wallet, but you'll trust him with your daughter. I don't use this word very often, but I think that's insane. I think that's insane. Which one is more valuable to you, your wallet or your daughter? Or your son? I remember when I was in high school, I'm done. I remember when I was in high school... The whole thing came out, I, I ask not the non-Christians because I know they'll tell me the truth. I ask them, what, what, tell me what's this prom thing about? 
there were this clique of three people who were in my art class. They told me, you dress up, you go out, you party, you drink, and after that, you go to a hotel or somewhere, and you have sex. He was emphatic. So I did not go. I show up to class that day, and I was alone in my classrooms. Everybody took the day off. It wasn't a school holiday, but everybody took the day off to get ready for the prom. I remember one teacher said to me, hey, ran to me in the hallway, say, Freddie, you're not going to the prom? I said, no. She said, you're missing out on a big part of American high school experience. I said, ma'am, that's a part of American high school experience I do not need. She looked befuddled. I did not go. I did not go. No, not neither in college. No senior proms, no, no senior balls, no semi-formal. I did not go. I didn't think that there was anything good there for me as a Christian. And when God gives me children, I'm not letting them go either. <laughs> and I won't be a hypocrite by telling them not to go. Can I read one verse as Dan begins to play here? You all know the story. I was going to talk about the people of Sodom. That's the fourth kind of heart. These are the people who are just defiant against God. They do not want to repent. God causes, God brings judgment on them. But here is a wonderful verse. Um, verse 27 of chapter 19. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Abraham so cherished his encounter with God that the next day he goes back to the same spot where he had been with God. He valued it so much. He said early in the morning. He valued his encounter with God so much. Almost like he was saying, God, come again. I want to meet you again. Is that your relationship with God? Is that your relationship with God? If it is not, it can become. For it to get there, just begin by obeying God in the small things. Abraham began when God told him, get out of your city, go to the place I'll show you. And he said, yes, sir. Begin to say yes, sir, to God in the small things. And let me ask you, do you know the Lord? Do you know Jesus Christ? It's not enough to go to church. You have to know God. I'm going to ask you to stand Actually, not everybody, please, sorry. If you're here and you know you don't have that Abraham kind of relationship with God when you want it, please stand and I'm going to pray for you. Father God, you see my brothers, my friends here, Lord, standing humbly. God, they desire you. They desire to walk with you. God, you desire it more than they do. You desire it more than we do, Lord. Father, I'm standing with them. Father, make us people who love you, Lord, that we will be your friends. Jesus, you said in John 15, 15, you are my friend. You are my friends. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master does. Father, we thank you that through Jesus Christ we can become your friends like Abraham was. But I pray that you will bless them, Lord. That even this week they'll begin to invest in their walk with you. That they'll begin to invest in their um, approach to you, Lord. To begin to spend time in the Word, time in prayer. And I pray, Father, that you will be glorified in all of our lives. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close with the song. A couple of announcements. Feeling sick. If you're sick, you're in pain, whatever it may be, I want to pray for you. Um, and then we'll, we'll send us out. Um, you can just um, bow your head if you're 
need of healing. I believe God heals people out of His compassion. Uh, he feels sorry for us and He heals us. Father, I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters here, Lord. Father, you know those who are living in pain. You know those who are, Lord, for whom it was even a struggle just getting out of bed and coming here, Lord. Father, you know those who may be at home sick. I pray, Father, that you would heal them, Lord, in your goodness and in your mercy, Father. For the glory of your name, Lord, and out of your, and for the blessing and the joy of your children, Lord. Father, I ask that in Jesus' name.